Welcome to Status Coup. I am Ron Placone filling in for Jordan Cheriton because he is putting the finishing touches on a book. But he'll be done with that book real soon. We both had deadlines, Jordan Cheriton and myself. I am finishing. I finished a movie. My movie is premiering tonight, which, by the way, I'll announce that real quick. Do you have the poster, Colin? I forgot to ask. I forgot to ask about that in prep. But uh, if it, ah, thank you. So if anybody is in the San Pedro area of Los Angeles, my movie Left at Wall is premiering tonight at 7 p.m. at the Warner Grand Theater. Uh, you can go to the San, San Pedro International Film Festival website, which I believe is just spiff.org. And you can uh, you can go ahead and get tickets for that tonight. It is a free screening, but you have to reserve your space ahead of time if you want to make sure you get in. Because it's uh it's getting close to capacity, to my understanding. So Warner Grand tonight, my movie Left at Wall premieres. If you can't make it or you're nowhere near the area, don't worry, because there's gonna be a ton of opportunities to see my movie. We're gonna be doing screenings in different cities all around the world, and uh, we'll probably hopefully we're gonna do an online event uh, as well, a couple online events, maybe one with Status Quo. Who knows? Uh, all right. So it is Thursday, November second. God, it's November already. Are you are you thinking about Thanksgiving? Are you thinking are, are you have you started your holiday shopping? How's it going? We got a lot of news for you. We're gonna be uh covering the SAG after strike again, looking for some updates on that. We're gonna be talking about uh some of the man, I've always said this. If there is a country more war propagandized than the United States, I don't want to go there. I haven't traveled enough to say. For sure and without a doubt, the United States is the most war-propagandized country in the world. I can say without a doubt it's the most war-propagandized country I've ever stepped foot in. And if there is a country more war-propagandized than the U.S., I'm scared to ever go there. I don't need to go. I don't care how good their food is, how nice their beaches are. I, I don't need to go there. <laughs> Not if they're more war-propagandized than the U.S. Uh, and we're going to see... Some examples of that with a, with a doozy video from CNN. Uh, so we got that coming up. Uh, we also have a, a little bit of good news. And uh, Senator, uh, the first senator has called for a ceasefire. We're going to be, we're going to be uh, diving into that. Wasn't Bernie, by the way. Uh, and smash the like button. Smash it. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Get everyone to tune into the stream right now. Have a Thursday afternoon slash early evening watch party with you and yours. Uh, and also, uh, it looks like there's a bill out there trying to give Medicaid to all the children. Like all children that, that need it will be able to get Medicaid. We're going to dive into that. So, a lot on the docket today. And let's start with uh, let's start with SAG. So, here is the latest. This is a uh, a thread on the Twitter. Uh, this is what's going on with 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 SAG. Dear SAG, after members, the negotiating committee met today to discuss and finalize our response to the AMTP uh, PTP AI counter proposal, which we received yesterday. The negotiators then met with AMTP um, uh, representatives for more than three hours this afternoon and evening to present and review our review proposal. We continue to await the AMPTP's, I'm just going to say the studios, because that, that's a freaking mouthful. The studio's response to our comprehensive counterproposal package, which we gave them on Saturday, addressing outstanding issues. Please know that your presence on the picket lines and support on social media remain a source of inspiration in solidarity and gratitude, your TV theatrical negotiating committee. So quick recap for anyone who may not have been here yesterday. 
SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. The writer's strike has ended. SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. One of the big points of contention, the studios want to be able to take people's likenesses and images and use them indefinitely, which would eliminate background acting work and, and things like that, uh, among other problems that it would cause. Actors are saying, you can't do that. The studios are claiming, oh, we just want to do that for that project. So in other words, if you're in a certain movie, they can use AI with your image, but only for that movie. But they're kind of pushing it because now they're saying, oh, it's that project or other related projects. Well, what the hell does other related projects mean? A project by the same production company? A sequel? Uh, a, a different episode if it's a series? What does that mean? That's open-ended, which means the studios are going to try to exploit it. So they're going back and forth on this to really put up some guardrails on what they can and can't do with AI as far as you know trying to avoid artists being completely exploited. So that's where negotiations are at, and they have not found any common ground yet. And it looks like let's go live to their Twitter feed because they could. I mean, the studios could respond to this at any time, at any time. So let's go ahead and see if there's any updates. Uh, this is still the the pin tweet. All right. So NEA and NEH. OK, this is not. Uh, this is just some information about the picket line today. So there's picket lines today. So it doesn't look like there's any breaking news as of right now. It doesn't look like as of right now, there's any breaking news that, oh, they reached an agreement or no, they didn't. Today's poll, before we go further, today's poll, will SAG-AFTRA reach an agreement before the end of the year? Yes or no. And you know what? I'm going to do something a little different than yesterday. I'm not going to tell you what my answer is. If you watch this show regularly, you probably already know my answer, but I'm still, I'm not going to tell you if I'm a yes or a no, because I don't want to take the results. I think some people... They'll just vote the opposite of how uh, of what I do just for shits and giggles, which is totally fine. But I want some genuine status quo viewer results. Will SAG after reach an agreement before the end of the year? Yes or no. Vote now and vote often and smash the like button. Tell your friends. And also, if you are able, please do leave a super chat. I want to talk to you guys. Uh, let's engage. It's Thursday afternoon. My movie's premiering tonight. I got a lot of thoughts going through my head right now. Been working on this movie for two and a half years. It is finally premiering tonight. So uh, leave me a super chat, would you? Let's chat. I got no co-host. I do got Colin on the ones and twos. But, uh, you know, uh, let's chat, please. So uh, And also, if you are able, please consider becoming a member over at statuscoup.com slash join. For $5 a month or $10 a month, which, by the way, to keep put in perspective, that's the equivalent of $0.16 cents a day or $0.33 cents a day, which I know I know some people, you're really strapped right now. If that's not you, hey, that's okay. We get it. But if that is you, if you're thinking, you know what? I got an extra 5 or 10 bucks a month that I can spare. Know that you are supporting firsthand on-the-ground journalism. You're allowing Jordan to make 20 different trips to Flint to tell the story of what's really going on there. You allowed us to cover the UAW strike for 25 days straight. We were the only outlet in the country, which, by the way, by instance, we were the only country literally in the world to do such a thing. We were the only domestic outlet to do such a thing. No inter international outlets were there for the duration. So status quo was literally the only outlet in the world to give the type of coverage that was given for the UAW uh, picket and the UAW strike. So know that that's what you're supporting. 
you're supporting sending status Lou on the ground in East Palestine, sending Tina on the ground in, in Vegas or uh, Cop City or Los Angeles and all the places she goes. So, uh, yeah, if you are able, again, um, statuscoup.com slash join. Uh, all right. So let's uh, let's go into the war propaganda time for time for some war propaganda roundup. Um, and we'll keep an eye. Hey, if, if there's any breaking stuff on the SAG after side, we'll report it. But as of right now, that's the latest. They sent their proposal on how to rail an AI that them being SAG aftra and the studios uh, have yet to respond. All right, let's go to some war propaganda, Colin. Let's uh, let's tee up that CNN video. That is uh, that is quite the doozy and smash. Explain the to us what's going on behind you. So, Poppy, I'll tell you, this is a measure of how seriously Israel is taking the risk of a new front opening up in this war. We are right at the the uh, Syria border, Lebanon border here, just a couple miles away. This is an Israeli exercise combined tank unit here. You see another one off in the distance. And these are Israeli IDF special forces here. Uh, they, they are training for the real thing in the event that they have to defend the northern border. Uh, from greater involvement from Iranian-backed forces inside Syria and in Lebanon, of course, Hezbollah chief among them. To date, we've seen a lot of clashes along this border, exchange of artillery fire. Uh, just in the last 24 hours, Hezbollah forces say they shot down an Israeli drone. The worry is that it becomes bigger, and that is that you have uh, Hezbollah fighters attempting to come across the border in numbers or firing missiles in greater numbers. And exercises like this one are designed to keep them on edge, right? Keep Israeli forces on edge in case they have to come to the country's defense in the north, much like they've had to do uh, in the south. Um, and uh, this is a daily event here, right? Because you have some 70,000 IDF forces now based in the north uh, to defend against the possibility of, of such an attack. Jim, this is one day before uh, the expected public remarks from Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of Hamas. You keyed in on this yesterday. I've been talking to people about it in the last 24 hours. Yeah. Their anxiety level, the level of tension awaiting those remarks. Do we have any idea where he will land in his public statements? Yeah. We don't know, and that's why folks are going to be listening. Three o'clock tomorrow, local time, nine o'clock uh, Eastern time, Nasrallah uh, has been largely silent since October 7th attacks, words of support, but not a public uh, speech where he, in effect, announces what Hezbollah is going to do in all this. And it's possible he doesn't show all his cards, but, but there's an enormous amount of attention focused on that speech to see if he does say Hezbollah is going to get more involved. Uh, and by the way, that could happen in a number of ways. It could happen on the ground. There have already been a, a few small attempted ground incursions. It could also happen by lobbing more missiles, particularly at Tel Aviv. And Hezbollah, armed by Iran, we should note, has many thousands of missiles, uh, medium and long range missiles that if they were to be launched in numbers, could overwhelm Israel's air defense systems, much like Hezbollah did by firing so many rockets at the Iron Dome that some got through. Uh, and, and that is another way, right, that Hezbollah can strike, either on the ground or in the air. And these these operations here, as they get ready to go underway, uh, are intended to, to, to be the defense against any sort of ground portion of such an attack. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. 
shout out to that reporter for just being able to bullshit that well without even taking a breath. I mean, that guy with a straight face, something could happen at some time. An attack could happen here, 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 here. There could be something at some point. And here we have the 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 Israeli uh, army is trading in this way. And then military forces are trading here. He's talking as if he's at a football training camp for everybody's favorite home team. Just going on and on and on about how something could happen at some point in their preparing. And wow, that's amazing. That's what the, that's what they show instead of showing what's happening in Gaza. Instead of showing uh, the dead children, the, the families that have been brutalized, innocent people that are being starved and denied water and electricity and are being bombed and they had nothing to do with anything. They're just trying to live their lives. Instead, they show you the, this training ground and, and warn you of all the dangers that could pop up. As if it, as if it's a rally of some sort. Oh, they're getting ready to play the away team. Unbelievable. And and CNN paid to send that guy out there. They paid to send that guy out there where he has the amazing ability to just bullshit war propaganda without taking a breath. He can just keep going. You just give him an open field in a military practicing uh, uh, killing, and man, he can really roll. I wonder if he was nailing it during the Iraq war too. It's uh, it's absolutely remarkable. And that's how war propaganda works. That is how war propaganda works. You give one side, you repeat the misinformation often enough so that people start to believe it's true. You repeat it often enough. You keep saying, this is the way it is. We've always been at war with Eurasia. We've always been at war with Eurasia. It's Eurasia's fault. It's Eurasia's fault. And people will start to believe it's true. I think a lot of people in this country, if they really knew the full scope of what was going on, I think everybody would be calling for a ceasefire. I don't think anybody would, 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 oh, yeah, no, let's keep doing it. I think a lot of people, they're not told the full picture. So unless people seek out outlets like this one or, or, or actually, like, dig through the muck and find out what's really going on via firsthand sources, they don't get the full picture of what's really happening. So... We are an incredibly war propagandized country, and we've been duped into so many wars as a society from Iraq to uh, Afghanistan to, I mean, going back further than that, Vietnam, the first Iraq, you name it. You name it. Pick the war. And it's always the same propaganda. Oh, we, we have to stop this. We have to stop that. We have to stop. I mean, we, we've gone along with countless coups all over the world. And at the end of the day, we're the empire. The United States is the empire. The United States is the empire basically brutalizing the world. They've built an entire economy on war. There was a headline in The Economist. What would a, what would a third world war do for all the financiers in the country? Let's look at the economic opportunity. It's Medley Butler wrote the book a long time ago. War is a freaking racket. He wrote the book a long, long time ago. But despite all of this blatant war propaganda, finally, somebody in the Senate. Now, there's been a handful of, uh, of members in Congress. Rashida Tlaib has been among them. Cory Bush has been among them. Shout out to them for doing that. 
finally, a member of the Senate is calling for a ceasefire. And it was not Bernie Sanders. It sure as hell wasn't John Fetterman. Here's who it was. Colin, let's go to, uh, let's reveal the person who it was. Uh, I think a lot of people listening to people in power, President, you, Secretary Blinken, calling for a humanitarian pause, are asking themselves, why is that different from a ceasefire? Two years ago, 2021, during an escalation of violence between Israel and Gaza, you called for a ceasefire and you said you, quote, couldn't disagree more with Netanyahu's policies, quote, when it came to the treatment of Palestinians. Is a ceasefire needed now? I think it is, at least uh, under uh, in the context of both sides agreeing. For example, the release of those who have been kidnapped should be part of this immediate release. Uh, that should be the beginning of it. Uh, an effort should be made to engage in conversation between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Let's face it, this has gone on for decades. Uh, whatever the rationale from the beginning, it has now reached an intolerable level. Uh, we need to have a resolution in the Middle East that gives some promise for the future. Have you told the president, the White House, you think it's time for a ceasefire? Because that is a word that the president is uh, intentionally not using. Well, I, believe me, what I said earlier about ceasefires under circumstances, for example, the release of those who have been kidnapped as part of it, uh, indication that this is a, a good faith effort on the part of the other side. Uh, but uh, no, I've not communicated with the White House on that. Well, they, they heard you now. Um, Senator Lindsey Graham on CNN this week. He so he, he almost... <laughs> He pretty much said it, not quite, but that's as close as we're going to get. That, that, that's as close. Like, he, he pretty much agreed, yes, there needs to be a ceasefire. Nice. That's fantastic. Um, and by the way, shout out to that interviewer for really clarifying and saying, the is there some sort of thing where if an elected official says the word ceasefire, like, 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 like the, the red rum appears? Jack Nicholson's character from The Shining appears if you say ceasefire and you're an elected official. Is that's what's going? They won't say it. That well, a small handful of them will, but but they won't say it. Let Let's go to um. So Dick Durbin, shout out to him for for say calling for a ceasefire. I mean, I I feel like he had to be he had to be pushed a little bit, but he did it. Kudos, that's awesome. Let's go to um. Uh, Colin, did you get that John Fetterman video? I'm sure a lot of you have already seen this. Uh, so Dick Durbin, you know, asked about the ceasefire. He did uh, say the right thing here, called for a ceasefire. Here is a prime example of, boy, what not to do. And I'm, I know a lot of you have already seen this video. Um, this is a video uh, from John Fetterman. Um I really feel this way. I tweeted this earlier. I I feel like John Fetterman is such just like the most prime example of what American politics is. He is a guy who is wishy-washy on the issues. No one's really sure where exactly he stands. He's easily manipulated by war propaganda. He, meanwhile, he gets elected to a chorus of people going, well, at least he's not Oz. It was him or Dr. Oz. And, and I get it. I mean, I, I don't begrudge anybody who voted for Fetterman. I, I get it. Your other option was Dr. Oz. I get it. But man, this guy, uh, this is, I mean, do you have the video, Colin? Is it ready? I mean, 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 I m
John Fetterman gave the okay for that, right? You you saw the little nod he gave. He gave his foot soldier, his goon. John Fetterman ha- has a thug who follows him around who will just shove people out a door for asking a question. You made eye contact with one of the royals. You need to go now. That's the shit that we put into office. The absolute shit. I I don't see, if you watched that video and felt anything other than pure humiliation to be a citizen of this country, I don't know what to tell you. That's fucking disgusting. A guy asking for a call to a ceasefire amidst the genocide And all John Fetterman could do. John Fetterman, by the way, who comes from money. A lot of people don't know that. John Fetterman came from money. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, he was the mayor and he wasn't even really getting paid. Yeah, because he didn't need the money. He had like some kind of trust fund or something. He didn't need the money. And then and then he became uh, uh, he he got into the Senate. He managed to find his way into the Senate because people were like, holy shit, anything but this Oz lunatic. And he seems like a good guy. He wears a hoodie. And he's like, oh, cool, you, you voted for me. Now, now I can have my foot soldier push anyone out a door if they ask me a question. And I mean, who could have seen this coming? I mean, it's not like this guy randomly pulled a gun on people in the past. John Fetterman. Wow. And look, if you voted for him, I I get it. I I don't begrudge you for voting for him. I I get it. But man, I'm more. Oh, Lucy's concerned. Lucy's like, what's wrong? Oh, hi, sweetheart. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's a, that's an example of what not to do that right there, that right there. And man, I I don't know who I'm more mad at John Fetterman or his, his fricking foot soldier. What a fricking like, that's my Senator. You're a soulless foot soldier. You're a soulless foot soldier. You're, you're, you're just, you're just, you're hired meat. You you you're you're just you're just hired muscle meat. 
for for somebody who won't who won't speak out against a genocide. So yeah, real brave, real brave. Um. All right, so um. Now let's go to Bernie. I mean, we we've all been. Bernie is saying everything right except for the freaking words ceasefire. <laughs> he won't say ceasefire. He is saying everything except ceasefire. He won't do it. Let's go to the, the, the Bernie piece now. The situation in Gaza today is a disaster. Congress must take action. The administration must take action. The world must take action. Today, three weeks after Hamas's barbaric attack against civilians in Israel, which began this war, many hundreds of thousands of innocent men, women, and children in Gaza are on the brink. Over the past three weeks, it is estimated that some 8,000 people in Gaza have been killed in bombings, including more than 3,000 children, and far more have been wounded. More than a million people in Gaza have been displaced from their homes, and some 670,000 are sheltering in UN installations where they are down to one liter of water, one liter of water per person per day. They lack sufficient food, water, medical supplies, or fuel. The hospitals and medical facilities there are in nightmarish conditions with hundreds of babies in incubators and patients on life support at risk of death should the generators that sustain them run out of fuel. Corridors aligned with injured and displaced people and overwhelmed doctors must turn patients away or operate without anesthesia or antibiotics. The humanitarian crisis is dire and getting worse by the minute. There must be a humanitarian pause now so that sufficient supplies, food, water, medicine, fuel, can reach the people of Gaza. If not, thousands more will die needlessly. We cannot allow that to happen. A stop to the bombing is critical to save innocent lives and secure the safe return of hostages. Everything but ceasefire. <laughs> and, and even he recently tweeted, Israel must end the violence now. But he won't use the words ceasefire. And, and at this point, you're just kind of like, dude, this is what the hell? Like, like a ceasefire is the policy necessary. We talked about this last week where it's like, look, it's not nitpicking to say you got to call for a ceasefire because that's the necessary action for the violence to stop. 
it's kind of like when politicians are saying everybody should have health care. Okay, do you support Medicare for all? Mm, la, 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 I didn't hear you. La, 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 la. Israel needs to stop the violence. Okay, so do you call for a ceasefire? La, 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 um, Which, of course, is is better than, oh, let, let me have my foot soldier throw this person out of a door. But I don't get it. And, and I think, honestly, and it pains me to say it, but I, I think Bernie just wants to kind of play both sides here, where he wants to say, oh, yeah, I'm calling for an end to the violence. But then all the people were like, well, I don't support a ceasefire because Israel is defending itself. He wants to say, well, I didn't call for a ceasefire either. And you know what? In this situation, you can't both sides it. You can't. You're either for a ceasefire or you're complicit. Those are your choices. You're either for a ceasefire or you're complicit or worse than complicit. You're in favor of it. You're in favor of the brutalization. So, and as some of you are pointing out, two-thirds of this country want a ceasefire. The American people see through it. The American people are over it. The American people are like, yeah, this is not, this is not the way. Uh, and yet, uh, the Senate won't even talk about it. Dick Durbin did call for it. He, he was, he was put in the corner on it. He was, which, which, by the way, shout out to that CNN reporter for doing that. I, I wonder if she'll get fired. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable. Then you you ask somebody at at a fundraising event, you ask a senator who you voted for. Uh, that that attorney, I, I forget the gentleman's name, but but he's an attorney, and he uh, he he has some he has a couple books out. Um. And, you know, he said, hey, look, I voted for you. I know you're you seem like a decent guy. You're a decent guy. Why won't you call for a ceasefire? He gets thrown out a door for doing that. Thrown out a freaking door. I mean, did you see the way John Fetterman was just glaring at him? I, I mean, that is that is like Clinton esque behavior. That is like Hillary Clinton level of just like just an honest disdain for regular people. An honest disdain. And you could see, I mean, there, there, there was an interview with, um, there was an interview Savage Joy did with John Fetterman. He, he just glared at her the entire time. He's, he's not, I mean, look, I, I don't want to harp too much on that. It's just, it, it's hard not to watch that video and get really freaking pissed off. Uh, especially because I, you know, I, I. I went to high school in, in, well, or I grew up in and went to high school in Pittsburgh and, and I lived in Pittsburgh. So, so his little meathead goon, uh, reminds me of a bunch of people that, that I went to high school with. In fact, maybe it is somebody I went to high school with. Who knows? Maybe Fetterman's foot soldier is somebody I graduated with. Um, <laughs> so, so it's hard for me not to have an emotional, angry reaction to that for for a large uh a large number of reasons but it's like i think at the very least it's safe to say like like john fetterman is not a decent person to just to just treat your constituents like that to just glare at them and and i'll be honest oh again over the past seven or eight years i've met more people in the political realm than i've ever wanted to i've never wanted the peak under the hood i've had and, and when I talk to friends and family, I always say, I'm like, look, if you've had the peak under the hood that I've had, you would never want to vote again. You would never want you, you would have nothing 
but just pure disgust for everything our government is just pure disgust. And, you know, I've met, I, I mean, I, I've, I've met Maxine Waters, such an underwhelming person. She, she, she just kind of looked down on, on everybody. Uh, I've met, I mean, I'm, Tulsi Gabbard was very underwhelming when I met her, but, but I was, I was convinced it was all in my head. I was, I was like, ah, oh, no, it's just me. And then of course you, you got to find out like, oh no, she's awful. Like, like even when I met Tulsi Gabbard, I'm like, I feel like she might not be sincere about anything. Should have went with my gut there. Really should have went with my gut there. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, he, he paid to be there. It was, uh, it was a fundraiser. Um, yeah, the guy removed was paid to be there. I mean, he had like a name tag on and everything. It was, uh, in the waterfront area in the Pittsburgh neighborhood. So yeah, he was a paid attendee. And, and you know what there was, I mean, there were some people who were calling out that guy for doing what he did, but guess who ordered that guy to do it? John Fetterman. John Fetterman ordered that guy to do it. Um, I mean, that should, that's just embarrassing. And, and it is just so sad. It is. I mean, you know, and that's why I say I don't begrudge. I'm not angry at the people who voted for John Fetterman because their other option was Dr. Oz. I'm angry at the system that forces people to pick between these repulsive, gag worthy, unacceptable parasites of human beings for choices nobody deserves that nobody deserves that nobody deserves to have to choose between joe biden or donald trump unless they're picking which one goes to jail first nobody should have to pick between those two fascist and yes if you understand the definition of the word they are both by definition fascists any system that vomits out those two is not a system worth saving or preserving and whenever i see we're about to lose our democracy what democracy what democracy are we losing you can't lose something you don't have oh man i was my movie's premiering tonight. I should be in a good mood. What is uh what is going on? Colin, let's do an update on the poll. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> All right. So currently the have fifty seven votes with Wasagaftra reach an agreement before the end of the year. Forty nine percent say yes and fifty one percent say no. Okay, cool. Um, all right. I'm not going to say mine. I don't want to taint the poll. <laughs> Colin, what's your vote though? You can say yours. Um, I, I didn't think that the studios would be this weird about AI this early. So I'll say no, just cause I, well, I wasn't expecting that mm. to be the big holdout. I thought money was the holdout, but the studios are actually, I think realizing how big AI can be and they're trying to get in before the full mass panic sets in when people realize how bad this is going to get. Yeah. Nope. I, I think that's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good analysis. I'm still not giving my answer though. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to wait until the end to give my answer. All right. So let's go to, by the way, smash the like button, leave me a super chat. I will get to everyone's super chat uh, here before the show is, is over. 
So let's let's go to uh, to a little bit of good news here. This is, and I'm going to share a personal story too here. Um, this is uh, a little bit of good news, and this is uh, uh, Senator uh, Casey, Bob Casey, that's proposing this. Let's go straight to the article, Colin. Um, and this would be something that's really good for uh, for children. It would basically give all children Medicaid. Senator Bob Casey calls for Medicaid coverage for all children. Uh, all right. So Pennsylvania Democratic Senator Bob Casey visited Wellspan Good Samaritan Hospital in Lebanon on Monday, touting his bill seeking Medicaid coverage for all children. Casey said there are about 126,000 children in Pennsylvania who are not insured by private health coverage, CHIP or health care exchange. Casey said that's an abomination. There's no excuse for that. Casey introduced a bill that would automatically enroll all children through age 18 in Medicaid. Uh, in Pennsylvania, parents of children with disabilities can qualify for Medicaid coverage, but it doesn't apply to all, which that part sucks. Casey wants to pay for the Medicaid expansions by increasing taxes on large multinational corporations and the wealthiest Americans, saying they need to pay their fair share. Uh, and by the way, we, we could we could pay for this many times over because any type of universal coverage is cheaper than what we have now. Whenever somebody says, oh, we can't afford it. Yes, we can, because we pay more now with the system we have. If we had a universal system, it would it would be cheaper. How can we afford this cheaper health plan? Gee, I, I repeat that sentence, please. Now, I think this is good, and I think this could lead to um, single-payer everywhere. And I think this is really important. And, and I'll tell you... I'll tell you a story from my personal life. When I was um, in college, there was a um, there there was a it was a girlfriend at the time, and she was in her freshman year of college, and her she did not have a great relationship with her um, her uh, paternal father. That they they didn't have a very good relationship. She wasn't very close with him. He didn't you know he wasn't really part of her life much. Her biological, her, her mom didn't have a job that included health insurance. So she got her health insurance through her uh, biological father. And as soon as she turned 18, she was, you know, 17 going on 18 her freshman year and then turned 18. As soon as she turned 18, her father let her know that he was no longer going to be um, covering her. She was no longer a minor, so he was no longer under obligation to do it. So he was taking her off of her uh, off of his health insurance. So she got a notification from the university that she was attending that she no longer had health insurance. And if she didn't figure that out, she could no longer be a student. Because you need to have health insurance to go to university um and i remember just being overwhelmed by that news i remember her just crying uncontrollably um i mean just just imagine you're, you're just going about your day you're in college you worked hard to get there you know you're, you're working your ass off you're working jobs to try to pay tuition you know and then all of a sudden you get this news that it's all going to go away because you don't have health insurance. 
and a lot of thoughts were going through my head one of you know one of which was uh her her dad doesn't seem like a very nice guy um and others were just how could something like this happen how could something like this happen in a country as wealthy as the united states and that was one of the things in my life i mean it wasn't the the only thing but um it was one of the things in my life that really made me passionate about universal health care. Um, and I, I don't tell the story I just told you guys, I don't tell very often. Um, and I try to be very ambiguous, you know, because I, I, I don't want to, you know, violate any privacy of people in my life. Um, but uh, I don't share that story very often. But but, you know, that's something that um that really pushed me towards universal health care. And another thing I'll, I'll never forget, I, I was having a conversation back in 2016. And um, it was a little bit of an argument about the whole Bernie v. Hillary thing. You know, this was back during the Democratic primary. And, you know, the, the issue of health care came up. And of course, Hillary's non-existent health care plan was being talked about. And uh, the person I was talking to, um, you know, was saying I, I was being too much of a purist. And I said, no, you know, this is an issue I'm not going to bend on. We need to have a universal system, something the rest of the industrialized world figured out. And um, somehow that story came up, that, that story about my, you know, friend and, and former girlfriend when, when we were in college. And uh, I told that story to the the um, the Hillary person, and I remember they laughed at me in in like a mean way. Um, they laughed right in my face after I told that story, which, as I'm sure you could tell, it, that's an emotional story for me to share. All these years later, it, it was a while ago. All these years later, I, I still remember that night. I still remember that conversation. I still remember the 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 heartbreak for her that I felt. I remembered the the fear and pain that she felt. Um. And yeah, the last time I told that story, other than today, the person who I told it to laughed right in my face, and I will never forget that. Um. Yeah, yeah. And the person who did that has a show called The Stephanie Miller Show, and their name is Stephanie Miller. So, uh, yeah, for those of you that follow that follow other shows on the ether, uh, yeah, the last time I told that story was to Stephanie Miller, and she laughed right in my face. But, um, yeah, so anyway, I support something that gives all children health care. <laughs> Full stop. I, I support something. I No, I mean, look. It's effed up enough. It is effed up enough that we do not have universal health care in the United States. It is effed up enough to not give it to children, to not have a system in place so that no child has to worry about it. I mean, that is just evil beyond comprehension. So I, I really hope this goes somewhere. And I hope, I mean, I feel like the whole Medicare for all movement um. I feel like the whole Medicare for all movement 
is really in a in a standstill right now. So maybe this will kind of jumpstart that. Maybe this will like really jumpstart that. Here's hoping. Um, so I support this. Shout out to Bob Casey for doing that. Um, and um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Uh, I support it. <laughs> uh, what else do we have on the docket here today? Uh, oh, let's go to, um, man, speaking of other just frustrating freaking people, let, let's go to, uh, let's go to RFK. Um, yeah. Yeah, let's go to RFK. RFK Jr.'s donor data reveals his 2024 threat. So there's RFK Jr., the guy who is enjoying his 15 minutes in the spotlight. There he is posing for the camera. If you don't see, the, is this his Mr. Clean face? Wait, Colin, scroll back up to this dumb picture. Uh, what? What's he doing? What is he thinking right there? What's he thinking? What what is he thinking? Hey, what's trending on Twitter right now? What 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 other contrarian uh what what online contrarian grift can I kind of uh slither my way into next? All right, well, let's get to the <laughs> perfect. Yes. RFK Jr. going through his Mr. Clean phase. Good job, RFK. <laughs> well done, Colin. Colin on the ones and twos, ladies and gentlemen. All right, RFK Jr. is collecting checks from past Donald Trump donors. By the way, the one thing RFK Jr. said that I agreed with, I mean, there's a couple things he says that I do agree with. It's not like I disagree with 100% of everything he says. But one of the things he said that I did agree with and still do is when he said, look, I'm going to take more votes away from Donald Trump than I would from Joe Biden. I believe that's true. I think, I think more Trump voters will vote for RFK Jr. than Biden voters would. I don't I don't think any Democratic establishment people would go for RFK. I think at one point in time that might have been the case. Like at one point in time, he was kind of polling amidst like regular Democratic voters. But ever since his own family has completely denounced what he's doing and ever since he's decided to run as an independent, that went out the window. You know, I mean, I mean, the de Democratic people who are into the Democratic Party, they're, they're loyalists to the point of being a cult, basically. I mean, it is a cult, really. And, and so are the Republicans. I'm not saying that the Republicans aren't, but they both are. But but Democratic loyalists, they're a freaking cult. So once you leave the cult, they hate you. Um. So anyway, all right. So let's go to this article about RFK Jr. Stoner. By the way, RFK Jr. has ties to Wall Street. Wall Street funds what RFK has been doing for years. All right. So RFK Jr. ties to Wall Street is a center-right politician at best. His views are center-right, and that's being generous. He has no plan for climate change. He is against Medicare for all. Yes, he is against it. Watch those clips. He is against it. He has no plan for the working class. He's just a contrarian online guy enjoying his 15 minutes of fame. In the past, he has done some great environmental work in the legal space. I applaud him for that. I totally applaud him for that. Absolutely. I would never try to say that that wasn't the case or, or try to uh, eliminate that part of his past. And I applaud him and give him a thumbs up for that. But 
this guy, I mean, the fact that some people think this guy is an actual leftist, which is comically absurd, that this guy is for the working class, which is comically absurd, that this guy is anything more than just a center right, never miss an opportunity to endorse a Clinton. You know, I, I mean, yeah. And there's still people that don't see through this guy, which is, is remarkable to me. But all right. So RFK Jr. is collecting checks from past Donald Trump donors at a much higher rate than former Joe Biden contributors assigned the independent presidential hopeful may pull more from Republican electorate than Democratic voters. He for sure will. A Politico analysis of campaign finance records also shows that Kennedy's bid has drawn millions of dollars from donors who kept their wallets shut in the last two presidential elections, suggesting he is activating people who have been turned off by what major parties have been offering. So the guy who the major party, who basically completely fits in with the major parties politically, but they just don't want him around. So he's, I keep on, RFK Jr. was born, he is part of one of the most powerful political dynasties in history. One of the most powerful domestic political dynasties in history. He is a member of their family. He was born on third base. And not only was he born on third base, but somebody hit a ball into deep center field, guaranteed to have at least a double. And all he had to do was run home. And on his way running home, he he saw a, a sign about vaccines or something and got sidetracked. That's RFK Jr. for you. All right. So let's let's go back to the piece. Uh, so, uh, though both parties insist Kennedy will be a non-factor in the campaign, there's clear anxiety about his potential impact, especially among Republicans. The analysis of Kennedy's campaign donations as of the most recent filing deadline shows why. Oh, by the way, if you want some really doozy takes on Israel-Palestine, check out RFK. Um, his large dollar donor base has a clear Republican lean. That also fits with limited polling that suggests Kennedy might draw more report support from Republican-leaning voters. Most of the $10 million Kennedy uh, raised from large dollar donors through September. True man of the working class here. <laughs> but here, go down to the go down to the um the bar, the 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 pie chart, or, or no, it's not a pie, the bar chart, excuse me. So small donor donations, 5.1 million, large donor, 6.6. <laughs> Large dollar donors with Democrat, large donor dollar donor uh, with Republican. So yeah, th there's your grassroots candidate there. There's your grassroots candidate. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't understand how Dennis Kucinich ever fell for this guy. It blows my mind. I, I mean, and and I I like Dennis Kucinich. I I do question his judgment recently. But it's so crazy. You look at Dennis Kucinich's bio and you see like the, this guy was a mayor. This guy has done work with these labor unions and that labor union. And, and you just see this very impressive resume of somebody. And I'm not saying Dennis Kucinich has never made mistakes. Of course he has. We all have. But this is a guy who has used the office locally and federally to try to do some good, to try to do the right thing. He's one of the few just genuine good guys in the space. And then you see advisor RFK Jr. And you're just thinking, one of these things is not like the other. Holy shit. Oh, by the way, RFK replaced him with, with a CIA person. The, the CIA, who RFK says most are nice people. Oh man, it's amazing. And I still I mean I have I have friends who I have friends who don't see through RFK. Uh, they, I mean I have a friend of mine like uh, she was she was like, "Well, RFK, I mean, he's really calling out the military industrial complex 
I'm like, yeah, I mean, tweets and, and some talk on the right podcast. That's pretty easy. And, and she's, well, he's doing more than talking. Like what? What is he doing other than talk? I mean, I, I had to ask that. I'm like, like what? I'm like, well, I mean, I think he's like, what? What is he doing other than talking and appearing on? He, he doesn't seem to be as appearing, uh, appearing on as many shows as he used to, which is, which is a relief. But, um, but what has he done other than talk? I mean, yeah, occasionally he'll have some okay takes on the war machine. But but then you hear his like, you know, where he gets his funding from, his support of the duopoly, his horrible takes on on issues like Israel Palestine. He's very much an imperialist there. It, you know, it, it's just like what is this guy doing other than having an occasional soundbite where you're like, yeah, that's you know, foreign policy wise, I, I get that. And then of course he'll have a cringe thing to to follow it up with. So yeah, I, I don't get anybody who doesn't see through this guy at this point. I, I just don't. I don't understand it. And, you know, check this comment section after the stream. There, there's going to be plenty. <laughs> there's going to be plenty of people like being like, no, you're wrong about RFK. He's I'm like, OK, I don't know. And, and this is a this is basically the result of our system. Our system is so inherently rotten and corrupt that people need to make up political fan fiction to get by people people are so ingrained and just huffing in you know the the american electoral rot day in and day out and it's just eroding their fucking brain cells so they make up this nutso political fan fiction rfk's really a leftist donald trump is a non-interventionist i, I mean the, the most prime example of all this is QAnon. that's the most extreme example but you see it everywhere you see political fan fiction from DNC lackeys. You see political fan fiction from Republican apologists. You see political fan fiction from RFK fans. You see political fan fiction from Tulsi Gabbard stands that still haven't accepted the reality on her. You, you see political fan fiction when people say Joe Biden was the most progressive president of all time. You see political fan fiction of people who are going to make excuses for John Fetterman and his foot soldiers. None of them are your friends. Hate to break it to you. And I'm tired of the political. Uh, some of you guys are bringing up other ones. Joe Biden is pro-union. Yeah, fun political fan fiction. Joe Biden didn't crush a rail strike. Um, I'm with you, Tony. Absolutely. Uh, I am with you. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not autistic myself, but, but I hear you. Uh, I'm with you. Um, yeah. All right. Let's go to the super chats. Uh, I'm going to hit up the super chat. Um, let's see here. Uh, boom. Roger, what's up, buddy? Ron, you don't do Twitter spaces no more. Uh, yeah, not really. I, I would like to get back to it at some point, but it's not something I've done in a while. Uh, but I would like to get back to it. It's just, just timing, you know? I mean, I, I've been... Making this movie has taken a lot out of me time-wise. It's been a hell of a project. It took two and a half years. We're still getting through all of it. I mean, we still need to make an updated trailer. We still need to, you know, put the finishing touches on certain cuts. So I'm still not completely, completely, completely finished. Still need to finalize all the movie posters and, you know, get the handbills and apply to more festivals, et cetera, et cetera. 
So, yeah, I haven't done as many Twitter spaces, but uh, it's something I might try to get back to. Des Bush Fleisch. I'm voting for General Strike 2028. Why wait till 2028? Vote for it in 2024. Arlene Chambers. I voted yes, Ron, because these greedy producers, et cetera, need people to watch shows, movies. I hear you. Here's the problem, though. Uh, they already have enough of an inventory that there's plenty of stuff for people to watch. And they have a financial incentive not to end the strike. A lot of these studios, these execs, they get their bonuses if the strike doesn't end because in the short term, they're still making their quarterlies. Even though they're losing money, the fact that they're not spending it either, they're making their quarterlies. So they actually have a financial incentive to let the strike go on indefinitely. Which, before we move on in the Super Chats, Colin, let's go to the final of the poll. What are the final results? The final results, let me hit the end poll here, with 75 votes, we have 45% with yes and uh, 54% with no. What was it again? 45% say yes, they'll reach an agreement by the end of the year, and 54% say no. Wow, okay. Uh, I'm in the no camp. I don't think they're going to reach an agreement, and here's why. I mean, we kind of talked about this yesterday. If they don't reach an agreement this year or excuse me, by the end of this week, it's already November. Show business pretty much shuts down in December. So, I mean, they're probably going to call it a year. Unless there's like an immediate resolution, they're probably just going to be like, well, whatever. Next year, this is Next year it time. is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, um, I don't think they're going to reach an agreement this year. So, that's disappointing, but uh, we'll keep an eye on it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, but we'll see. All right, let's go to some more. Uh, let's go to some more super chats here. Uh, let's see. Cheryl Taylor treats for Lucy. Aw, thank you for that. I will let Lucy know she's asleep on the on the bed. She's taking a nap now. She's kind of tired of the. She's like, I'm tired of your show. It's gone on long enough. I'm taking a nap. Uh, all right, and we got a few Rockfin tips. What's up, Roger? Uh, Ron, who is the thing? Okay. One. Um, I think you, I think you meant to say here is the thing we need to drop Medicare for all and adopt TRICARE for all. Don't know what that is. Medicare for all does not outlaw private insurance. It only allows it for supplemental. I can live with that, but TRICARE for all would seeing that TRICARE that is only offered to active duty servicemen and women love it. Um, that no choice, but government insurance, socialized, single care, health care, that care drops when they're no longer active and they go to VA. You live in California, a state that allows you to place your own amendments and laws and repeals laws on the ballot using the citizen ballot initiative process. Yes. And you, if you have millions of dollars, you can make an impact there. Um, anything that you want nationally, you can get it done statewide. Um, it's not that simple, but, but okay. And you don't have to depend on the politician to do it state or federal. I mean, again, that is by definition true, but you know, put that in practice. It's not that easy. Um, don't tell me about it's hard. It's expensive because I see California doing it all the time. Then please develop some receipts. Where is California doing it all the time? Because California tried for about 10 years to get public banking in the um, front and center. They finally got something through. 
they failed multiple times. Their 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 initiative failed multiple times before it finally finally it failed the last time as well. But then Gavin Newsom passed something else that allowed the creation of 10 public banks. And there still hasn't been movement on that. The California single payer movement has been going on for years and they've tried to go on the ballot initiative route. That takes a ton of signatures. It takes a ton of um, right wing propaganda campaigns against it. So please, if it happens in California all the time, please show me some receipts. Uh, name five, five laws. Five laws that California has passed recently. I mean, yeah, we have ballot initiatives all the time, and I'm with you. That's a great thing. But to make it out like, oh, it's it's that easy. Just get a ballot initiative, and it's going to be a law like next legislation session. It's not that simple. I wish it was. If it was, believe me, if it was, California would be one of the most progressive places in the world to live. We would have single-payer health care. We would have an efficient rail system. We would have public banks. We would have living wages. We would have a Green New Deal, a localized Green New Deal. We'd have all those things. Unfortunately, it is not that simple. I get what you're saying, and I agree with you, but uh, it's not that simple. Um, I, I think you're oversimplifying how easy it is. I mean, it's like, don't tell me it's expensive. But it is, though. <laughs> I mean, don't don't tell me that 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 realistic. I mean, it's like these people who run for office and they have no resources at all. Like I'm running for office and I'm uh, don't tell me it can't be done. You don't even have a proper website. Don't tell me it, and you're wasting everyone's time and money because you have no infrastructure. You have no message. You have no website. You have no realistic path to victory. I'm sorry, but sometimes you got to there's a difference between um total pessimism, which is a bad thing, and unrealistic optimism. I mean, th those are two extremes, and neither one of them are healthy. If you don't have some amount of, of just constructive reality on how to get wins, then, you know, you're not really doing anything. That's all I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, I get you. Um uh, let's see here. So did I get everything? I think I got everything. Um, so thank you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Again, thank you, Desbush Fleisch. Thank you, Arlene Chambers. Thank you, Cheryl Taylor. Uh, thank you all for your super chat contributions. You help keep this show on the air. Uh, it is appreciated very, very, very much. And, um, and yeah, I, uh, so we're, we're, we're thinking, no, we're thinking, no, on the, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be resolved this year and that's too bad, but that's the reality. Um, so I have a feeling it's not going to be resolved this year. Um, but I hope I'm wrong, even though, even if I'm not wrong, I don't think a whole lot's going to happen. Um, okay, Roger, you're back. All right. No, what I'm saying is I see citizens led initiatives getting on the ballot all the time. Uh, yeah, I yeah, that's true. They just lose most of the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, however, I do see flaws in your process that would definitely need to be fixed first. Absolutely. I can definitely, if you wanted, show you a plan to get there, but it would have to do with changing the initiative process. Always willing to lend a hand. I appreciate that, man. And, and, you know, again, I love your philosophy. I love your ideas. All I'm saying is 
it's not that simple. It's not that simple to just like, hey, here's a citizen-led initiative. Yeah, we get those on the ballot all the time, but then they lose because there's a huge propaganda campaign against them. They have a hard time getting the word out. They have a hard time um, getting people to come around to the point of view that they're pushing. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's cool that we got them. And it's cool that that it's a thing. I mean, states that don't have them, I think that's bullshit. I think all states should have them. I'm all about ballot initiatives. I'm all about, um, you know, citizen-led initiatives. I like that way better than the electoral space. I prefer fighting for policy battles. But, I mean, you know, it, it's not... So you're saying, like, well, I have an idea, but we have to change the rules. Like, all right, I mean, that's great. That's awesome, but how the hell do we change the rules? Like, it's like, but, uh, but Hey man, I, I, I guess what I'll say to your, to, uh, in agreement with you is we got to freaking try, right? I mean, the, the alternative is not trying and that's pretty shitty, but you know, it's, it's sort of, Hey, all we got to do is just get this initiative and we're good. Well, it's not that simple, but you got to start somewhere. So, uh, Roger, I hear you. Yeah. This is from the Rockfin chat. Somebody, <laughs> Where the hell does Roger write all that? Isn't there a cap on words on YouTube? <laughs> that is that why Roger is that why you go to uh, Rockfin sometimes? Um, is it so you can write more? Because you did both today. Roger did do a little bit of a YouTube, but then he also did some some Rockfin some Rockfin chat. I actually didn't know Status Quo was still on Rockfin. I learned something new today. Um, but uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. I'll bring this up real quick. Jello Biafra or Vermin Supreme or both. So Jello Biafra was interviewed on my podcast, 1000, which I'll give a shameless plug there. I have a new podcast series called, called 1000 with Ron Placone. And you can get it wherever you get your podcast. You can also find it on my YouTube channel. I interviewed Jello Biafra. <clears throat> it is an interview series. I interviewed Jello Biafra and I did ask him if he planned on running for president. So check that episode out. Episode five is Jello Biafra. And my last episode was with Martin Barr of Jethro Tall, one of my favorite guitar players in rock and roll. So uh, for those of you who uh, who dig music, check out the uh, the interview with Martin Barr. But uh, but yeah. And uh, all right. So, guys, thank you so much. Let me go through the thank yous again. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Desbush Fleiss. Thank you, Arlene Chambers. Thank you, Cheryl Taylor. And over on the Rockfin, thank you, Roger, again for your thoughts. I'm not familiar with Tricare, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I you know, I uh, I am a you know, Medicare for all is just the one that has all the momentum, and uh, you know, I'm I'm just for if it gets us to universal health care, I, I don't really care what the you know what what the mechanism is really. Um, it's Martin Barr, B A R R E. Um, yeah, it's a uh, Martin Barr. Uh, Vermin loves, I, I would interview Vermin. Yeah, I would interview that guy. I, I know, um, uh, he's an interesting guy. I don't know a ton about him, but, um, but I would totally have him on the show. I guess I should reach out. But, uh, so far we have had Beans on Toast, the legendary singer songwriter from the UK. We have had Celeste Lacine, the LGBTQIA activist, uh, and filmmaker. We have had Stephanie Blum, the comedian who I did a show with, uh, last month. We've had, uh, oh man, who else was, who was episode, Jello Biafra was episode five. 
And episode four was, uh, hold on, let me look. I want to, I, I want to, it's a new series, so I can still kind of shout out everybody. Episode four was Corey Doctorow, which was an amazing chat. Uh, episode six was Margaret Kimberly. And episode seven was Martin Barr of Jethro Tull. Pretty heavy hitting lineup, if I'm, if I, if I must say so. Pretty heavy hitting lineup. So please, wherever you get your podcasts, follow 1000 with Ron Placone. And if you could, please give us a five-star review. And for everybody in the Los Angeles area, if you're not doing anything tonight, my movie is screening in four hours. Left at Wall screens at the Warner Grand Theater in San Pedro at 7 p.m. Pacific tonight. Tickets are free, but reserve your spot ahead of time so it doesn't sell out. Reserve your spot. You can go to the San Pedro International Film Festival website. It's just spiff.org. Um, and, uh, or, or spiff. Yeah, you'll find it. Just Google San Pedro International uh, um, Film Festival and you'll find it. Reserve your spot and I'll see you there. I'll see you tonight. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Yeah, dude. I saw Jethro Tull once in concert way back. They were so damn cool. They are cool. Well, now it's um, Martin Barr is no longer with Jethro Tull. He is doing his own project, the Martin Barr Band, which if you're a Jethro Tull fan, I highly recommend checking out Martin's band. They're incredible. Uh, they're awesome. So check out that episode with Martin Barr, Henry. If you're a Jethro Tull fan, definitely check out the Martin Barr episode. Guys, thank you so much for being here one more time. Thank you so much, uh, Roger. And yes, feel free to send me info whenever, Roger. I always love... Uh, I always love the information you send. I always love um, I, I, I always love uh, reading your um, analysis and thoughts. And uh, I, I love your passion for ballot initiatives, even if I, um, you know, e even if I think it is a, a bit uh, a, a, a bit more difficult than maybe you are. Um, you make it sound in your verbiage, although, of course, writing a rough in common is not the same as speaking. But uh, but even if I feel like, well, I, I don't quite share your optimism there, uh, I still appreciate the theory. Oh, and you're, you're clarifying that that's why you do it. <laughs> yes, so I can talk more. And the Rockfin is a co-op. That is true. It is technically it is a uh, it is a uh, crypto co-op, if you will. So thank you, Roger. Thank you, Desbush Flies. Thank you, Arlene. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Roger over the Rockfin. Thank you guys all for hanging out today. Thank you for being here with me. Uh, I don't know when I'll be back. I know Jordan's coming back because his, uh, his book is finished. Um, so I don't know when I'll be back, but I'll, I'll be back soon. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for the Lucy treats. And uh, make sure you follow me, by the way, youtube.com slash Ron Placone. Make sure you follow me on YouTube. Check out my podcast, 1000, the podcast, uh, 1000 with Ron Placone, wherever you get your podcast. And uh, yeah, this is Ron Placone for Status Coup. Signing out.